into our uh, afternoon uh, lesson. Let me just remind you a couple things. Uh, there's sign-up sheets in the back for both the men's fishing trip for June uh, 24th and the seniors' uh, luau this coming Saturday, 4 o'clock, back in the fellowship hall. And uh, I mentioned before, my dad will be coming in uh, from the Shenandoah Valley. He's bringing his accordion with, so we can have a little singspiration as part of that, and we'll have a, have a good time together. So um, we're going to go into a new study as we're kind of getting back to afternoon services. And, and right now, as you know, we're doing the second and fourth Sunday of the month, second and fourth Sunday. And um, I was debating what, to, what study to go into for this. And, uh, and actually, we're going to go into a study kind of coming out of Zach's ordination process. Uh, we sat around one day around the table, a few of us, talking about doctrine and what, what somebody has to know to be ordained and how that, what that process looks like in the interview process. What, do they, what kind of questions do they get? How what do they have to answer? And, and we started talking through that and talking about the fact that, you know, it's important for us to understand doctrine and understand doctrine in these key doctrinal areas, which are about 10 or 11 key doctrinal areas that, that when, you're, when you're working on an ordination for somebody you go through. And so in the course of that conversation, we kind of decided that, you know, it would probably be a good thing for us to work through some of these areas. We may not answer every question that I, hey, somebody that's going through ordination gets asked, but we're going we're gonna to try to look at some of these basic doctrines. And I think one of the things that is, is sad in churches today is there's not much time or energy or effort put on Bible doctrines. You know, why, why do we believe what we believe? And what do we, what do we actually believe? And, and why do we believe it? Um, and and it's, it's the same, and, and this may roll over into this study eventually, it's the same with a why, why are we a Baptist church? You know, Baptists aren't going to be the only ones in heaven, folks, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, but why are we a Baptist church? Why, why, why do we choose to have that denomina, denominational, um, you know, word in our signage? Is there a purpose behind it? And yes, there is. And, uh, and so what, what, what makes us a Baptist? And uh, we may look at that eventually as well. But <clears throat> to start out with, we want to just start out with basically uh, a study of some basic Bible doctrines. So what do those doctrines include? Well, that would be uh, doctrine of the Bible, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, angels, sin, Satan, uh, mankind, um, end times, the church. I'm trying to think if I missed any. I think that's most of them. Uh, might be one or two I missed in this. Just rattle them off because I don't have them written down in front of me. But those are some of the key things we'll look at. <coughs> Oh, oh, sin is one, sin and that, and uh, those are some of the key things we'll look at over the next uh, several weeks of doing this. But today, we want to start with the Bible, because everything we know about these other areas comes from the Scripture, and so uh, that's got to be our, our starting point. And so we want to look at some different aspects of the Bible today and see what, what the Word has to say, uh, particularly about itself. And so if you have your Bibles... Uh, you can open to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. We're going to be there in just a minute. Uh, but I want to give you some key terms, first of all. And those key te- terms are revelation, and I'm going to explain them in just a second. Revelation, illumination, and inspiration. Okay, so what are those terms? They're all key terms when it comes to a study of the Scriptures. So revelation is God's activity in making known his truths, the revelation of the scripture to mankind. Now, we know that God uh, breathed 
the words that he wanted spoken to man, the writers of, uh, of the scriptures, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. That's the revelation, God revealing his word to man, and now we have his word revealed to us in the, can- the canon of the scriptures that we have. We'll talk about that. Then there's illumination. That's God's activity of giving understanding of the scriptures. What I read in my Bible, I, I, I get understanding of what I read through illumination. That's the work of who? The Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that more when we get to the Holy Spirit. But one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is to illuminate Scripture to us. That's, that's the voice inside of us that helps us understand what we're studying. That's why, folks, we don't need an interpreter of Scripture today as some churches teach. We know, uh, for example, the Roman Catholic Church for many years wanted to keep the Scripture out of the hands of people. They wanted only who? The, the priest and the Pope and things like that to be able to, to illuminate the Scripture to you. But the fact of the matter is the Scripture itself tells us that, the, that there is no private interpretation of the Scripture. And, and, and that's what negates that whole viewpoint of how the Word comes to you. Now, certainly, it's okay to have the Word preached to you. The Bible teaches us a church is established by God and things like that and preachers, but there's no private interpretation. I can't get up here on a Sunday morning and tell you, uh, last night while I was studying, God spoke to me and He told me to tell you this. That's, that's not how it works. I don't get a private interpretation that you don't get. What I can do, though, is I can open the Scriptures and say the Bible says this. And then it's your job to recognize whether what I'm saying in the Scripture is true or not. Your job is to to try me, to test me, to see if what I'm saying from this pulpit matches with the Bible. And if it doesn't, then you, you need to throw me out as your pastor. <laughs> it's really what needs to happen. Because if I'm not preaching this book, I'm not doing you any service. I'm not, I'm not helping you grow spiritually if I'm not preaching this book. That's also, folks, why we preach the Scripture. You know, so many churches have gotten away from the Scripture. It's become entertainment. It's become the newspaper headlines. It's become whatever. And that's not how God intended it. God intended for His Word to be preached. And so, um, so, but we have revelation, that's God giving his word, the truth, illumination, the Holy Spirit shop. Then we have inspiration. That's the production of God's truth in human words. That's how we got our scriptures, folks, and that's what we want to focus on today. The inspiration of God when it comes to our scripture. That's where we are in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. So, Right from the very start, there we see that that key word is always all. All Scripture is given by inspiration. There is no part of Scripture that is not given by God. Now, when we say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, what are we talking about? We are talking about the original manuscripts of Scripture. We are not talking about translations. Those came later. We're not talking about modern translations. Those came much later. We're talking about the original manuscripts. Now, uh, for sake of time and and a lot of history, we're not going to go into all the different manuscripts and because and, it's a very detailed 
uh, very long study in the original manuscripts. But what I can tell you is that, that the scripture we use in our church, we use the King James Version of the Bible. We use that version of the Bible because that version of the Bible was translated from the most, uh, the, the most recognized source of, of scripture text that has been compiled. That has the, it has the majority text where the majority of manuscripts agree. And also through other manuscripts that have been brought in, the majority of them agree. Um, and I can't remember, it's, it's five or six or seven thousand documents that make up the original manuscript of our Bible. So we have to understand, there's not just, in the original language, there's not just one Bible that's the whole Bible. Okay, you've got to understand that. It, it, it's bits and pieces that have been found over history that have been put together that the majority of them that agree, these five, six, seven thousand pieces, make up the canon of the Scripture that we have today. And that's why, that, that's why, as a church, we use the King James Version because it comes from the most reliable manuscripts that are out there. And, um, and so that's why we choose to use it, and that's why I choose to use it as my personal Bible as well because I believe it comes from the most reliable manuscripts that we can have. Now, is that to say there's no benefit in other versions of the Bible? That's not to say that, because some words and some things here and there do get translated well in other, in other versions. And as a, as a pastor who studies the Scripture to present it on Sunday mornings, sometimes my study involves looking at other versions, other translations, and what they have had to say about a word or a phrase, and, and see how that comes in line. But we, are, we believe the King James comes from the most reliable manuscripts that we have. And that's why we, why we use it. So when we talk about Scripture being inspired, we're talking about the original manuscripts of Scripture. Why? Because the word inspired comes from two words, and it comes from the word God and the word breathed out. So when we say the Scripture is inspired, it literally means it is God breathed. God breathed. God spoke to men and impressed on them what needed to be written. Now, you know, it's a little confusing at times when you think about it because somehow in God speaking to men and telling them exactly what was to be written, He allowed their personalities to still come through in the writing. Isn't that interesting? We couldn't do that, folks. We couldn't. You and I would not be able to do it. You and I would not be able to to bring all these different men, all these different writers of the Scripture together over a period of, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 1,600 years. That was the period of time that all the Scripture, the original manuscripts were written, over 1,600 years. He brought all these different men together, told them exactly what they needed to say. They agree with each other. They don't negate each other. And yet their own personalities have shown through. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible, because an all-powerful God did it. That's how it's possible. You, you and I could not replicate that, folks. If, if we interviewed five people from this morning's service, we would get a different story of how this morning's service went because we can't do that. We, can't, we see different things. We, we can't replicate what God did in his word through the writers of Scripture. But the word is inspired. And not only is it inspired, we learn from this passage, but I want you to notice what the rest of the passage says. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, 
and is profitable. How much of Scripture is profitable? All of it. All of it. That's why, folks, sometimes we study passages that don't seem to have a, a, a lot of meaning for us. Why, why is there genealogy in the Bible? Why study the genealogy? Well, because the genealogy shows you family lines that are very important to Scripture. The line of David, who the Savior came out of. The line of David, who also had people in there that had some pretty bad reputations, folks. But yet, God still worked in their life. What does that tell me? That tells me that even my life, as messed up as it is sometimes, God can use. See, that's why those things are important. But all Scripture is profitable. And then he tells us in this passage, Paul does, what it's profitable for. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So the Scripture is profitable for these things. But the first thing he says is it's profitable for doctrine. We get our doctrine from this book. What we believe comes from what's written in this book. That's how we get our belief system. And you can slip over to 2 Peter, just real quick if you want. I'll read it to you, though. 2 Peter 1 and verse 21 says this. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by what? The Holy Ghost. So what is it saying? It's saying that the Scripture as we know it, this book, came not by the what? The will of man. It wasn't Ken Biggs one day decided to sit down and say, I'm going to write a Bible. You know what? There's been people that have done that, haven't they? <laughs> you can study some of the other scriptures, and I'm using that term <laughs> completely loosely, scriptures that are out here today. Book of the Mormon. What was that? That, that, guy, that guy sat behind a, 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 a screen and talked into a hat, folks. That's how that book was written. I mean, you study the history. That's how that book was written. He sat behind a screen, he had a dictator on the other side of the screen, he looked into the bottom of a hat and wrote, his, wrote his, the Book of Mormon. You would say, that's insane, huh? I would agree. <laughs> that's pretty insane. And yet, how many people have taken that as gospel truth? But we have a book that's inspired, that God breathed into man every word that he wanted written. And not only is it inspired, John chapter 17 and verse 17 tells us that it's truth. It's truth. Something sadly missing from society today. We have to understand that the Scripture does not contain the Word of God or contain truth. It is the Word of God and it is truth. Truth is not just scattered throughout the book. It is the book. And that's a, that's a crucial difference, folks. Because when it gets to, well, I'm not gonna, we'll get there in a minute. I'm not going to steal that yet. <laughs> we get to the inerrancy of Scripture in a minute. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more. Ryrie, many of you maybe carry a Ryrie study Bible. He gives us this definition. He says, God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings. This was done without error. 
See, folks, one of the things we have to understand is the original manuscripts of the Bible were inerrant. There was no error. And that is vitally important because if there is error anywhere, there could be error everywhere. See, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What if there's an error there and it's Jesus Christ said, I am a way, a truth, and a life? See, that would just be a small error, wouldn't it? But that changes everything we believe in, folks. Jesus Christ is not a way. He's the way. The specific way. The only way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. One error. And you lose everything we believe. What about the virgin birth? What if Mary wasn't a virgin? Why did Mary need to be a virgin? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but why did, when we talk about Jesus, but why, why, why did Mary need to be a virgin? Because Jesus is God. If he had two earthly parents, there's no Godhead in him. So one mistake, one error anywhere in the Scriptures could negate the entire Scripture. And that's why it's important to understand that the Bible that we have is inerrant. And if we, if we allow there to be an idea of error in the Scriptures, it opens the door to basically eliminating all of the Scriptures. So let me give you a very modern day example. Um, the Muslim faith. They believe in what? The Quran and the Bible. But there's a caveat. The Bible has some errors in it. So they believe portions of the Bible. And see, folks, that changes everything. So God's word is without error. If we deny the inerrancy of Scripture, there, there, there's serious fallout. In Christ's temptation, we, let's go back to the temptation of Christ just for a minute. Because the temptation of Christ is an interesting thing when, when it comes to this idea of, of Scripture. Because in the temptation of Christ, Jesus Christ quoted Old Testament Scripture. And so it, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it teaches us the value of Old Testament Scripture. See, there, there, there are people in this world who only preach and teach from the New Testament. But that's a problem. Because what did we read in 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means the Old Testament too, folks. So to just preach and teach from the New Testament, oh, maybe that's more fun at times or something, I don't know, but it's, it's poor preaching. You have to preach from the entirety of Scripture, which includes the Old Testament. That's why I don't know if you've noticed, but in church here, we often bounce between Old Testament studies and New Testament studies. There's a reason for that. We're trying to cover the whole of Scripture, not just part of it. And so that's why I purposely bounce us back and forth between the two. And often you'll notice we reference Scriptures in the opposite Testament. We're studying something in the New Testament, we're going back to Old Testament Scripture. We're studying something in the Old Testament, we're looking forward to New Testament Scripture. Why? Why? because it complements itself. And that's why it's important. 
But in the temptation of Christ, notice what Jesus said in verse uh, 4. It says, uh, well, let's go to verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by, what's the next word? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If this book, as we believe it is, is inspired, it's what God breathed, then this book is every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Jesus Christ, in that very simple answer to Satan, basically qualified that the entirety of Scripture is what we're supposed to have. It's every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And we could study at length, and we don't have time to do that in here, but we could study at length how often Jesus made reference back to the Old Testament. And it was often. He often went to Old Testament scriptures all through his temptation, but not just in his temptation. He verified many stories from the Old Testament, uh, verified their veracity as truth. Uh, Even in Matthew chapter 5, we will look at this one, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Uh, when it comes to the law, and we've mentioned this verse before, it says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. So he says the law or the prophets. Who are the prophets? Guys that wrote these books in the Old Testament. He says, I've not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. What did Christ say? He said, every word of this book is true, and every word of this book will come to pass. Not one jot or one tittle will not come to pass. The smallest, those were the smallest of, um, uh, I guess the easiest way to compare it would be like the dot on our letter I. The smallest thing in the alphabet, the little dot on our letter I. He says none of that is going to pass away. All of it will be fulfilled. All of the scripture will be fulfilled. So we could spend weeks literally studying what Christ had to say about the Old Testament scripture to show that it is part of the scripture, but that, that does enough for us. So that's, that's the inspiration of, the God, uh, inspiration of the Bible by God. It's the uh, inerrancy of the Bible, the fact that there's no error. And then number three, how then do we interpret the Bible? So if the Bible is the word of God, it's God-breathed, and if it's inerrant, it's important because there's no errors in it. So how do we interpret Scripture? Well, there's, there's a big word, a big term called hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics is the study of the principles of interpretation. That's what it is. That's what hermeneutics is. When you're in, if you're in Bible college studying to be a pastor, you'll take a course on hermeneutics. How do we interpret Scripture? And uh, now I'm, I'm going to sum that up in about two minutes today, but uh, you can take an entire course on how we interpret Scripture. But basically, there's two main uh, paths of focus when it comes to interpreting Scripture. There is an allegorical hermeneutic, where an allegory, we know, is, is a symbolic representation. That's what an allegory is. It's, it's, it's a story that's symbolic of something else. Okay, that's an allegory. I think we all know what an allegory is. So there's an allegorical hermeneutic. That says that basically the words of Scripture are symbolic. They they have meaning, but the meaning is not always what they say. They're just symbolic. And so there's that kind of a hermeneutic that says that. The problem with that is, the problem with that is it makes the Scripture basically fiction. 
because it's saying what the words actually say are not what they mean. They mean something else. Right? If, if, if it's a symbol of something else, then what they literally say isn't what they really say. So it makes the words of Scripture fictional. Then the other side of hermeneutics, other than the allegorical, is a literal interpretation of Scripture. And that's what we believe. We believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture. We take God at His word. What He says is what it means, and we believe it because He said it. Not because I believe it, but because He said it. It's true. It's a literal interpretation of Scripture. So when the Bible says, thou shalt not steal, it means, thou shalt not steal. It means, don't steal. That's a literal interpretation. Now, we can look at all different passages of Scripture, and, and it's important to understand that. Now, in, in looking at, and, th- and this is where we'll, we'll just about end today, but in looking at a literal interpretation of Scripture, how do we interpret Scripture literally? If, we, if we're going to buy into the fact that Scripture should be interpreted literally, how do we do that? Well, number one, we do that grammatically. Words are important. Grammar is important. I did not study two semesters of Greek because I love Greek. Trust me, I did not study two semesters of Greek because I love Greek. I studied two semesters of Greek because grammar is important. And Greek is what was used in the grammar of our New Testament. And so if you're going to understand it correctly, you have to understand the grammar behind it. I don't love grammar, folks. I don't. But it's important if we're going to understand the Scriptures properly that we understand the grammar that's used because it means something. It's Greek works different than English. We sometimes have one word in English that there's three, four words for in Greek, and so when they're used, it means something. Just like in the story where Jesus says, do you love me? Remember that story? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, we use the word love, love, love. If you look in our translation of the Bible, it's love, love, love. But in, in, the, in the original language, in the Greek, it's not the same word. It's do you agape love me? Do you agape love me? And then at the end, it's do you brotherly love me? See, as Christ asked the questions of Peter, they, those questions changed. Now, we read our scripture and we see, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But in the original language, that, that questioning line changed. It was, do you agape love me? Do you agape love me? Do you brotherly love me? That makes a difference. Why the change? Because Christ wasn't getting the answer he was looking for from Peter. He's asking Peter, do you love me? Do you agape love me? And Peter's saying, I brotherly love you. And Christ was looking for a different answer. So we interpret grammatically. We interpret contextually context. What is the context of the Scripture? What comes before it and what comes after it? That's why when we, when I preach, I preach through a book. Now some people may not like that I preach through a book. You may want to preach all over the place every different week, some different topic. There's a place for that at times, but When we preach through a book from start to finish, we are getting the context of the book. We are understanding the start of the book, the middle of the book, and the end of the book. 
And so we're, we're, we're looking at it contextually. What is there before it and what is there after it? And then comparing Scripture to Scripture. You will find there's almost never a Sunday goes by that I don't go somewhere else in the Bible besides the text we're in. Why? Because it's important for us to understand that Scripture complements Scripture. Stuff in the Old Testament complements what's in the New Testament. Stuff in the New Testament complements what was back in the Old Testament. Scripture complements Scripture. And so if we're going to take a literal interpretation of the Bible, we have to look at grammar, wording, what the words say, context, and comparing Scripture to Scripture. That takes us to the last point for today, and we'll be done, and this is going to be a very short point. So we're talking about the illumination of Scripture. The illumina- I've already kind of mentioned it, but the illumination of Scripture. So when we hear the word preached, how do we understand what it has to say? Because remember, what does the Bible tell us? To the unsaved, the word is what? It's foolishness. They're not what? Spiritually discerned. So the word is foolishness. Really, folks, pretty much everything we do as believers is foolishness to the unsaved. You realize that? People in this world think we're crazy because you just spent two or three hours in church on a Sunday morning when you could be out enjoying the sun today. They think you're crazy. Oh, you give to the church? That's nuts. Why would you give your hard-earned money to the church? You know, to, to, to the world, the things of God are foolishness. They don't understand them, just like they don't understand Scripture. So the job of the Holy Spirit, once we're saved, is to illuminate Scripture to us. Well, let's look at John chapter 16. And this will be our final thought for today. John chapter 16, and starting in verse 12. It says, I have yet, this is Jesus speaking. If you have a Bible that has red printing, it's red. It's Jesus speaking. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take you of, take of mine and shall show it unto you. What's Jesus saying in this passage? Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth. And he's telling them that there's going to be the Holy Spirit of God that's going to come as the comforter. But notice what he says in verse 13. He says, he will guide you into all truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. So what was Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he is going to be your guide through the scriptures. He's going to illuminate the scriptures to you. You're going to understand the scriptures because of what the Holy Spirit does in you. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And that's why Jesus could say he's the comforter. He's the comforter. Zach talking about the comforter this morning, the God of all comfort. But Jesus, when he was leaving, he actually told the disciples he needed to leave so the comforter could come. But the key, one of the key things the Holy Spirit does, and he does more than that in our life, but one of the key things he does is he illuminates Scripture to us. That's why, folks, you can go home and have your own devotions and the Holy Spirit can speak to you through those. As you read the Word, the Holy Spirit can can say, did you get that? Did you follow that? See what I'm trying to say there? 
That's what you need to do in your life. That's the Holy Spirit, folks. That's what He's doing. He's illuminating Scripture to us. That still small voice inside of us. So the Bible. We'll talk a little bit more probably next, next time we meet about that, and then we'll move into our next doctrinal area. But, folks, doctrine is important. We need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. Thank you for this time we've had today. Thank you for the wonderful service this morning, all those that took part. Lord, we thank you for Zach and the ministry plans that you have for him for the future, Lord, and we just pray that you continue to bless him. Lord, just take each one of us home safely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So don't forget, sign up on the sign-up sheets in the back if you're interested in either of the uh, things going on there, the seniors' event on Saturday night, and the men's fishing trip.